Please be seated. On this Easter Sunday, we turn to the Gospel of John. Now John of the four Gospels is the most esoteric and mysterious. The Jesus portrayed here is a mystical sage with one foot planted firmly on the earth and the other in heaven. His motives, while pure, are not always entirely clear. He's always just a little beyond our understanding, just a little beyond our reach. But Mary Magdalene and Jesus had a special relationship, I think. I'm not saying they were lovers, but she seemed to understand Jesus better than most. She was a disciple in all but name and the most faithful among them. When he died, her world was torn apart. Everything she believed, everything she'd worked for, everything she loved was gone. In this gospel, Jesus is always a little beyond our reach. But this morning, in the garden outside of the tomb, Mary Magdalene reaches out for Jesus and embraces him. And they share this moment of mutual understanding, a bittersweet love. In this moment, Mary's forced to contend with everything she's lost, her purpose, her hope, this man that she loves. She's forced to reckon with the fact that even though Jesus lives, things will never quite be like they were. But Mary's also given the courage to live a new life with a new purpose and a new hope. Christ is risen, and so is she. A reading from the Gospel according to John. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the foot. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Uh, Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabuni which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not hold on to me because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen.
Please pray with me. Everlasting God, may the words of my mouth, the meditations upon all of our hearts serve to glorify you. And may they be in keeping always with the teachings and with the promises of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen. The whole world watched as the church burned. As flames consumed the Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris last week, 800 years of history was reduced to ash. That venerable tower, having survived the French Revolution and the invasion of the Third Reich, now stands in ruins. But for one woman, Watching the news on her television in Florida, the event was especially heartbreaking. Katie frantically dug through boxes and photo albums, searching for that one photograph of her husband, Jamie, standing in front of that iconic cathedral on their honeymoon. Ever since she'd snapped that photo on her camera, she and Jamie had vowed to return to that very spot every five years. They fulfilled that promise once together, reliving the romance of their honeymoon with French wine and midnight strolls along Parisian avenues and boulevards. I was going to say they walked the Champs Elysees, but I don't speak French. In any case, before they could fulfill that promise again, Jamie had passed away. It was a rare disease, one that he didn't even know he'd had until he was gone. Katie went back to Paris anyway, alone, walking those ancient streets with her thoughts. A young couple stopped her along the way, asking if she'd take their picture in front of the cathedral, which was, of course, still standing at the time. She agreed, and she was surprised when the young man got down on one knee and proposed to his girlfriend right then and there. Katie, still holding the camera, began to weep alongside the happy couple. Tears of joy, tears of sorrow, it all brought back so many memories. Jamie's death gave me plenty of reasons not to revisit Paris, she later wrote, but I did anyway. Our promise to return continued on albeit in a very different way than we'd hoped, and served to remind me how resilient I am. I read these words and her story in an article that Katie published last week. It was called simply, Notre Dame Will Rebuild. I Will Too. Her story is a reminder about the losses and hardships we face in this life, the storms and the flames that threaten to leave everything in ruins. Whether it's the loss of a spouse or a child, whether it's being forced to live with a terrible disease or watching the world that we thought we knew fall apart on television day after day. These maelstroms can shatter stone and topple walls that have been built to withstand the very tides of history. The storms relent 
but they change the landscape that we live in. Nothing can ever be like it was. Not really. You can't go back, but you can go on. And on this Easter Sunday, we remember that after the storm relented, Jesus went on, lived on against all odds, changed the world, and so do the ones who follow him. I was somewhere in Pennsylvania, I think, on that long, long stretch of Route 80 that seems to go nowhere. The roadside is decorated with just a handful of signs warning of falling rocks or a rest stop that's still 58 miles away. If you plan to make that drive, I hope you like trees. That's about all you'll be seeing for a very long time. A fondness for urinating in an empty Mountain Dew bottle while trying to keep the steering wheel steady would also serve you well, I imagine. (laughs) Though I can't say that I've ever tried it myself. I was headed east and had been for the last 10 hours. The miles stretch on before me, a concrete puzzle, a labyrinth of one straight line, but one that I couldn't seem to solve. When I told folks that I had planned to drive to Connecticut to officiate my best friend's wedding, they all looked at me like I was an idiot. There's this thing called an airplane, you know, one of them jested sarcastically. Marvelous invention. But they didn't know about the dreams. They didn't know that every night for a year or more, I'd been having this recurring dream about driving home. Sometimes I had to get back here to Illinois where my family waited for me. Sometimes I had to go to Connecticut where I grew up. Home was always someplace different, but in the dreams, it was always far away. So, I felt like driving back to Connecticut was just something I had to do. I I had to go back the same way I came when I moved out here 15 years ago. Route 80. Now any armchair psychologist might call that a midlife crisis. A guy closing in on 40 who takes off in a Dodge Charger for a few days, leaving his wife and children behind to go on some vision quest on the highways of America. That's just ridiculous. Midlife crisis. I mean, yeah, I was wearing my old leather jacket that I bought in college, um, now that you mention it. And yes, I suppose I might have listened to some Deep Purple and Steppenwolf on the radio. And Well, yeah, if, if you must know, I cut my hair in the mirror of a gas station bathroom outside of Cleveland because the face looking back at me seemed tired and a little old, and I thought maybe I could use a change. But... But I'd hardly call that a midlife crisis. I mean, <laughs> in all seriousness, this, this urge I felt was something deeper, something more profound, something that I think we all feel once in a while. A need to go back in time, to retrace our steps, as if by walking backwards, we could revisit some place that we had to leave behind in the wake of the storm. 
It's the same force that calls that widow to the steps of Notre Dame every five years, even though she knows it can never be the same. It's the same pull that draws Mary Magdalene to the tomb. When Mary wakes up on that fateful morning before dawn, she has no place else to go. She doesn't want to be alone, but the other disciples are poor company. Her footsteps take her there to the garden, to the tomb where he lay, as if pulled by some unseen force. And when she sees Jesus there walking in the garden, she doesn't recognize him. I mean, how could she? She's woken up from a long and restless night to an unfamiliar world, a world without him. Exhausted, her eyes red with tears, so utterly convinced that the story had ended, and ended badly. There was no way she could have recognized Jesus. Her mind, her, her heart, wouldn't allow it. But to be fair, we also have to acknowledge that Jesus had maybe changed somehow, too. He had weathered an impossibly fierce storm of betrayal and beatings, of mockery and derision, of crucifixion and death. Gone was the man who stilled the storm on the Sea of Galilee as it battered his boat. Now this time the storm had battered him, and there was no one to make it relent. If Jesus of Nazareth was truly both man and God, then the man, I think, was nearly gone. But God's love walked out of that tomb, and it called her name, Mary. For just a moment, it was as though nothing had ever changed, as though he had never died. Rabuni, she breathed, she recognized his face and took him in her arms. But of course, something had changed. Everything had changed. A storm had passed over, and nothing would be the same. And in this most bittersweet moment in the whole biblical story, Jesus says to Mary tenderly, don't hold on to me because he knows that he can't stay. I remember being five years old when Hurricane Gloria rocked the East Coast. My family had huddled together in our unfinished basement, sitting on rotting old couches and eating potato chips while listening to AM radio. The 95 mile per hour winds battered the old house and you could hear everything above us groaning and creaking. There was a little screen door in the basement that led out to the backyard, and it seemed at times as though it might be torn from its very hinges. When the storm finally relented, I walked outside and saw the wreckage. Fallen trees, some of them torn up by the roots, mingled with broken glass and down power lines in the wet grass. A child's bicycle lay on its side in the middle of the street, probably swept out of someone's driveway and dropped there. 
the little tassels on the handlebars looking worn and dirty. And I realize, even then, that storms change the landscape. Nothing is ever quite the same. You can't go back to the way it was, but you can go on. And that's what Mary does. Her heart, filled with love and with hope, pounds against her chest as she races to tell the others that Jesus still lives. And from that day on, she carries on the work. She helps to build the community that we would one day call our church. In a sense, this story is as much about her resurrection as it is about his. And it's about ours, too, each and every one of us. She can't go back to the way things were. But maybe with enough love, Mary can go on to what might yet be. As I was driving back here, I realized it. The dreams had confused me. I didn't know where home was. But as I was driving back, I knew it was here. Here with my wife and my boys and my church. This is home. I still had to get back here, though. And I had a whole lot of miles to go. It was just before midnight, I think, rolling down that lost highway when the rain started to fall on my windshield. It came on hard and fast, blinding me, the wind rocking my car from side to side. But the wheels held fast to the blacktop. They were new, or gently used at least. I'm still not quite sure. I'd gone to discount tires in Naperville before making the trip, and I'd had all four tires replaced. As the guy at the shop told me what it was going to cost, I asked him, are these your cheapest tires? (laughs) We don't sell cheap tires, sir, the man replied, offended at the accusation, but these are our least expensive. You know, it just If you're going to work at a place called Discount Tires, <laughs> maybe don't get so defensive about the quality, right? But the tires did the trick. They pulled me through the storm like good friends during a hard time. I think you all know what I mean. You've each had your share of loss and grief, ill winds that feel like they'll never relent. In this past year, our little community here, our our church, our town, has suffered in extraordinary ways. As a pastor here, I see it. I see all of the stories, all of the grief. And it weighed upon me as I prepared this word this morning. It weighs on me still. But I also see the love that pulls people through. I see the love that keeps people grounded until the wind stops howling and the downpour eases into a drizzle. The love that keeps us from driving into a ditch. And it's love when the storm relents and nothing looks the same that shows us how beautiful 
life can still be. I imagine that the fire at Notre Dame has a special resonance for some folks in this church because this place burned down once too. The year was 1988 and this whole room was on fire. It was January, the middle of the night, the flames soaring into the Glen Ellen sky, reflected in the tears of the people who looked on. A space heater in the organ loft sparked the blaze that nearly destroyed this venerable place. But the congregation carried on. Many of you who were there 30 years ago carried on. You rebuilt. You believed in the power and the promise of resurrection. And now this place stands. A sanctuary for those who grieve like Mary. A place where people searching for home and find one, a place where we can all find new life when the storm relents, and it will in time. We believe the storm is passing over. We believe in resurrection. We believe that he is risen. He is risen indeed. May it be so for you and for me. Amen. Amen.